book of Acts chapter 9. That's the book of Acts chapter 9. The best way for you and I to prove that Jesus Christ is truly alive is through a transformed life that is still being transformed. The best way in the world we live in today to prove that Jesus Christ is alive is to show the world that he has transformed you and he is transforming you. Apologetics has its place. Apologetics is simply how to defend the faith, how to stand up in a world that is antichrist, that is against God and his church, and defend the faith, whether using scientific reasoning and above all, biblical reasoning, that has its place. But above all, people are not so much concerned with what comes out of our mouths to prove that this Jesus we have just celebrated is real, that he is alive. They just don't want to hear us say it, but they want to see, has he made a difference in our lives? Because you can't meet him and remain the same. You can't know him and not change. So the best way for you and I to prove that Jesus Christ is alive, not only on Resurrection Day, but every day, is ultimately through a transformed life that is still being transformed. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold. All things have become new. If anyone is in Christ, and I would imagine that we've got some people today who are in Christ and Christ is in you, the hope of glory. Because if he is in you, old things must pass. And behold, new things are coming. And when Paul says new things have come or new things are coming, it's in a tense in the Greek language that is called the perfect tense. So when Paul says all things have become new, the perfect tense means that it's something that happened in the past, but it still has lasting results and effects in the present and going into the future. So the perfect tense, I have become new and it still has an effect on me. I am still becoming new. He transformed me, but I'm still being transformed. He changed me, and I'm still being changed because I can't get over this relationship that I have with God through Jesus Christ. It's not something that I checked off my list, but no, he is alive. He is alive in me, and he is continually transforming me, molding me, making me, shaping me. Everything continues to become new in my life. If you call yourself a Christian and you find that your experience with him is boring, you might want to check yourself because the Christian life, Jesus said, it's an abundant life. It's the most challenging life that you can ever live because your God is working in you to will and even to do 
of his good pleasure. Well, the man who wrote this verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17 knows a thing or two about being transformed. He knows a thing or two about being changed. He had a drastic before and he had an even more drastic after. And the man who told us about becoming new and we can keep becoming new is none other than the Apostle Paul. And in the book of Acts chapter 9, it records his conversion when he met the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. You see, he was an unbeliever. He was a zealous Jewish man for the law. And he saw this new thing called the way as something that would counteract and contradict Judaism. And so with great zeal, he rose up to stop this movement called Christianity. And with authority from the high priest, with papers to go to the synagogues in Damascus, he was on his way to capture Christians because he saw them as idolaters. He saw them as people who were polluting the message of God. And so he was going to arrest them, men, women, and children, and bring them back bound to Jerusalem. But something happened on the way. Jesus interrupted his plan, thus interrupting his life, thus changing his life, and that man would never, ever, ever be the same. This man who breathed out murderous threats against the church, this man who consented at the death of Stephen when he was stoned, this man would be changed because he had an encounter with the resurrected living Christ, and he would never, ever, ever be the same. So in Acts chapter 9, Verse 26, after his conversion, he comes to Jerusalem. And the Bible says in verse 26, and when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he, Paul, declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Verse 28, so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. The Bible says that the disciples, the church, they didn't believe that Paul was truly a disciple. They didn't believe that he was truly a Christian. So Paul had to give them what I'm entitling this sermon today, and that is proof. He had to give them some proof that he truly had a relationship with Yeshua, the Messiah, the Mashiach. So proof, proof, proof. So the best way for you and I to prove that Jesus is real is through a life that has been transformed and a life that is being transformed. Is anybody being transformed today by the love of God, by the mercy of God, by the grace of God, by the truth of God, by community with God's people? We're being transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we might not conform to this world that wants to put us in its mold Take away our saltiness that we just sang about. Dim our light for God. But no, we are being transformed every day by a loving Savior who not only dances over us and rejoices over us with singing, 
but he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. How can anyone say they know the Lord and remain the same? Especially since he is the one who is the agent of change through the Holy Spirit. That when Paul came to Christ on that Damascus road, he was regenerated. He was made new. The Spirit of God, the Holy Ghost, whom we just sang about, entered into Paul's life. And he began the process of sanctifying Paul and molding Paul and conforming Paul to the image of Jesus Christ. Do I have a witness in here who knows about the power of the Holy Ghost, who knows about the power of the Holy Spirit? You know, when I was coming up, we used to say, things I used to say, I don't say no more. Places I used to go, I don't go no more. Things I used to do, I don't do no more. Why? Because God is working in me. I'm not perfect. But my God, I'm forgetting what's behind and I'm pressing on because there's something about him. I cannot stay down. The same spirit that raised Jesus up from the dead is alive in me. So I must go up. I must go on. I must press towards the mark of the upward call of the prize that is found in Christ Jesus. So Paul said when he rolled up on the church at Jerusalem, they didn't want to let him in. He said, I'm going to give y'all some proof that I know him. Number one, I saw Jesus. Number two, I heard Jesus. And number three, I served Jesus. So in case y'all are getting it twisted, y'all are discriminating against a brother, don't want to let him inside the church, I'm here to give you proof. I saw him. I heard him. And I serve him. And all of that is right there in verse 27 when Paul says he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so this allowed the apostles to test the fruit of Paul's conversion. So the Bible lets us know that when Paul came trying to join the church in Jerusalem, According to the book of Galatians chapter 1, it may have been three years after Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus. So in the book of Acts, the historical account, it reads pretty uh, thoroughly through uh, from verse 1 all the way till we get to verse 26. But according to Galatians 1, before Paul went up to Jerusalem, he spent three years in the desert hanging out with the Holy Ghost. He didn't come up to Jerusalem first, but he spent time and God began to teach him and continue to mold him because there was a great calling on his life. So when he comes to the church in verse 26, which may have been three years after his conversion, the church is still afraid of this man. And they think that he is playing possum. They think that he is faking the funk. They think that he is being a counterfeit, someone that could come inside the church with a scheme in order to kill them. And so they're afraid of him. Now, you must have been doing some serious dirt. You must have been raising some serious cane if the church three years after your conversion still remembers what you used to be like and they still don't want to trust you to this day. You must have did some straight up evil things. So the church, they're afraid of him. So he's got to give proof that he really is a disciple just like them, that he's been transformed by the love, mercy, grace, truth, and gospel of God. And the first thing Paul says is that I saw him on the road. So when Paul is riding as an unbeliever into Damascus to persecute Christians, to get them and bind them and bring them back to Jerusalem, Jesus meets him on the road. 
And the Bible says in the book of Acts chapter 9 that suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus. So when Paul would give his testimony in other portions of the book of Acts and in other epistles in the New Testament, he would say that he saw the Lord. He saw the risen Christ. Christ appeared to him. And because God is light and he dwells in unapproachable light, when the light came, it outshone a midday sun. So here's the sun at noon, according to Acts 22 and Acts 26, other accounts of his testimony. The Son of God was brighter than the S-U-N. The S-O-N outshone the S-U-N, and the light was so bright that it knocked him off of his horse. It knocked him off of his high horse. Now, if somebody pushes you, that's one thing when you fall down. But when somebody turn on a light and you fall down, that's a powerful light right there. That's the glory of Jesus appearing to this sinner on the Damascus Road. This sinner who's sincere but sincerely wrong. God's grace showed up, met the brother on his way to do more havoc and destruction against the church. But Jesus met him on the way and Jesus had mercy on him. And Paul said, who are you, Lord? Jesus says, I'm Lord. That's who I am. And so right there, Paul said, I saw Jesus. This man that I heard about, his followers who are following after him, I met him for myself. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, Paul said that when Jesus had resurrected, the Bible says that Paul said, then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Paul said he appeared to me. Uh, John chapter 20, verse 29 when Jesus had resurrected, he made many appearances. And one of them was when he would spend time with the disciples, the 11. And one day, Thomas was not in the evening prayer service. And Jesus showed up. And the 10 told Thomas, he was with us last night. And Thomas said, no, he wasn't. They said, yes, he was. And Thomas said, no, 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 I won't believe until I see for myself the prints in his hand and the mark in his side that was given by the soldier, the spear, the blood and water came out. I won't believe until I see. And a lot of times that is how the world is. They don't want to believe in Jesus until they can see Jesus for themselves. But I love what Jesus said to Thomas in John 20, 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But here's Jesus talking to all of us right now. Blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believed. Oh, my. Any believers in the house today? Any believers? Any believers? Any believers? Any believers? You haven't seen him. And this is why the world can't understand why we would have so much joy and enthusiasm. Our lives would be altered and adjusted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. We've been born again, and so therefore we can see the kingdom. But for people who are not born again, they can't see this lifestyle change. They can't understand the depth of the joy and the peace that we have. But we've seen him, not with the physical eye, but with the eyes of the heart that the Holy Spirit has graced us to be able to see and know Jesus, where now we are believers because there were people who saw Jesus in the first century, yet they still did not believe in him. 
There were people who knew he got up from the grave, but they still chose not to believe in him. So seeing does not always equal believing. But we are people who we believe, and guess what? We see now, and one day we're going to really see. Because I think John said over in 1 John chapter 3, Beloved, it doesn't yet appear what we shall be, but we do know that when we see him, we shall see him as he is, and we will be made just like him. So one day my faith is going to become sight. But I got 1 Peter 1, 8 to hold on to, where it says, Whom having not seen, you what? You love. Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Thank you for the Pharrell remix on happy, because we got a happiness that is based in joy, that is based in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It's not based on my next drink. It's not based on my next paycheck, my next car, my next house. For some of you, the next person you sleep with, no, 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 my joy is based on a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And folks think that I'm a little crazy, because I do live under an open heaven where there is no roof, and God pours out mercy and grace and resources on me as he sees fit because he's a good father so I go skipping along not for the stuff daddy gives me but for the fact that I know daddy for myself through his son I got joy and when I start feeling down and this outward man is wasting away I start getting renewed in my spirit the Holy Spirit revives my soul again there's a work that he does on the inside and like the old folks used to say when I think about Jesus and all that he's done for me my soul cries out so something happens when you've seen the Lord when you believe in Jesus but then Paul said uh, let me tell you something I also heard him speak because Paul said in verse 27 he says yes I saw him on the road and then he spoke to me on that road. Our God is a personal God. He's a relational God. One problem with church is that many people think that the only time they can interact with God is on Sunday when professionals lead you into his presence. There's some people who don't understand the priesthood of all of the believers, that you don't need me. You don't need this choir. Yes, God created us for community. He's giving gifts to the body and leaders in the church, but you don't need the church in order to hear a word from God. You don't need other people in order to get into the presence of God. When my mother and my father have forsaken me, then the Lord will take me in. And God has a word for you. And many times it's a word that he wants to say apart from your preacher, apart from your pastor, apart from your favorite artist. There's something he wants to say to us. But the question is, are we listening? He, he's talking. He wants to commune with us. But are we really listening? Look at verse 5 of chapter 9. So Paul has been blinded by the light of the glory of Jesus. He's so blind, he's going to have scales on his eyes. I mean, the Son of God is going to set his eyes ablaze so he cannot see. Once he sees Jesus, he gets blinded, but his ears still work. Anybody's ears still work? Oh, my ears, Lord have mercy. The older I get, as it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the, the, the ears get dim. And he even talks about how your eyes, you can't see, and then the teeth start falling. I still got my teeth, thank God. But, but, but man, Paul could hear. And he said in verse 5, 
Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So Paul heard, I am persecuting Jesus. Wait a minute. I thought he was persecuting Christians. Well, when you touch Jesus' people, you touch it Jesus. When you mess with the body of Christ, you're messing with the head of the body, who is Jesus Christ. And it doesn't take too kindly to people just persecuting and arresting and hurting his body, his church. He cares for us. He cares for the church in Nigeria. He cares for the church in Ethiopia. He cares for the church in Russia. He cares for the church in China. He cares for the church in Haiti. And he sees what is going on to his people. And though justice delays, it is not denied. He is coming. And in this particular case, he came against this henchman, met him on the road and said, you're persecuting me because you're messing with my people. So Paul heard, Lord Jesus, I've hurt you because when I mess with your people, I hurt you. And our God still talks to us and he reminds us of times and ways that we hurt him. We hurt him because many times we are hurting people in his body. And if we have ears to hear what the Lord is saying, many times he will confront us to say, you have been rude, you have been mean, you have been unforgiving, you have been slanderous, you have been spreading gossip, you need to stop hurting me as you hurt my people. Oh Lord, open up my ears, let me hear how I have hurt you. But not only that, Paul was hurting himself. So when Jesus meets him, he said, you're persecuting my people, but he also says it's hard for you to kick against the goads or the pricks. What is that? Well, back in that day when they would herd animals, herd cattle, they would use goads or pricks to keep the animals aligned. And pricks and goads were sharp little devices usually made out of wood that would be used almost like spurs are with horses to keep the animals and the cattle lined up properly. And so many times when they would go and drink in the water troughs, they would set these little fences up behind the cattle and they would have spikes on them to keep them in line and not be moving all over the place. And so they would prick them. They were goats to protect the animals and keep them in line with where the shepherd was going. And so what God, Jesus, was saying to Paul is that God has set some pricks in your life, some goads in your life, some things to stick you, to keep you on the path. But what you're doing is you're resisting my love, you're resisting my grace, and you keep kicking these things. They're sticking you, but you keep resisting when I start sticking you. Oh, I know he got stuck when he heard Stephen preach. Because the Bible says when they went to stone Stephen, they laid their clothes at the feet of this young man named Saul. So Saul heard the gospel as Stephen worked the audience all the way from Abraham all the way up to the time of Christ. And the Bible says that audience, they were cut to their heart and they gnashed on him with their teeth and they stoned Stephen and Paul was there giving consent to this man's death. So God pricked him, stuck him, but he kept kicking against the work of God. And so he's saying, Paul, you're hurting yourself. Stop kicking against me 
and yield to me. Stop fighting against me because I've got a call on your life to fight for me. Give it up, man. Give it up. And there may be somebody here today. The Lord's been sticking you. He's been pricking you. He's been working on you. But you just keep on, uh, no, I ain't got time for that. Uh, I know he's pursuing me. I know he wants a relationship with me. But some of y'all are like, mm-mm. But I pray that today Jesus will meet you right here, that this church becomes the Damascus road. And today is the day you say, uh, I'm going to stop kicking against the pricks and I'm going to surrender to Jesus. I pray that today is the day for somebody up in here. Oh, we've been praying for you all week long. But then also he heard Jesus say, you've hurt me, you're hurting yourself. But if I had time, I'd take you over to Acts 26, where Jesus, when Paul gives a different account of his conversion, he talks about how Jesus said to him, my purpose for you is to be my minister and to witness to Jews and Gentiles. My purpose for you is to take this gospel to kings. My purpose for you is to suffer in this ministry because ministry sometimes involves suffering. So Paul heard Jesus commission him. He heard Jesus say, here is why I'm saving you. I'm not just saving you to take you to heaven with me right now. No, I'm saving you to represent heaven on earth, and this is the way you're going to do it. Your purpose, you will be my minister. You're going to serve Jewish people and Gentile people. You're going to preach this word. And when you hang out with Jesus long enough, he's got something for you. Because Paul said, what do you want me to do, Lord? Because if you really have a relationship with Jesus, you will then say, how can I serve you? What do you want me to do? And Jesus says, oh, yeah, go into town. I know you're blind. They'll lead you by your hand. Go into Straight Street and just wait. And we know Ananias, he came in there and laid hands on him, and he got his sight. He was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he then started preaching. So the revelation was progressive. Just going into the town and wait for me. So when we're hearing the Lord, he may not tell us everything, but he'll tell us the next step. Uh, go to Strong Tower Bible Church. Uh, 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 read that passage of scripture. Um, go to this college or go to this city. He may not tell you the whole picture. He's a good steward with the revelation. He wants to know, will you act on the little bit he gives you? And he told Paul, go into the city. Paul went into the city. He had more for Paul. So Paul heard what his purpose was. And a lot of us are wrestling, what am I here for? Well, you were created to bring honor and glory to God. You were created to enjoy him and have fellowship with him forever. And that begins when you become born again. And once you become born again, he's given you gifts and there are passions in you. And he uses your experiences to represent him in this earth. So it's not all about you getting paid and being happy and getting a house, a dog, 2.3 kids, a wife, a picket fence. There's so much more to life than that. He said, there's a ministry for you, Paul. Paul heard that. He heard, I hurt the Lord, and I'm hurting myself. But he also heard, there's a purpose. You've got a purpose. And it's not like anybody else's. He has uniquely given you something to do. And it's up to him to order your steps. You don't have to order them. You don't even know where you're going. The Bible says man's goings are of the Lord. He will order you. But it first starts by saying, Lord, here I am. What do you want me to do? The best ability 
is availability. Here I am. You gave your life so that I can live. I'm going to give my life so that I can find life. Because if I try to hold it, I'm going to lose it. But I give it up, and you're about to take me on, as Stephen Curtis Chapman said, a great adventure. Let's go, Jesus. He can do more with your life than you can. So stop trying to be the Lord of your life and let him be the Lord of it. He deserves it, doesn't he? He gave his life for you. So give your life back to him. And then finally, Paul says, and that's why I serve him, y'all. I can't help but serve him. Because when I asked what do you want me to do, he said, I want you to preach. The zeal that you used in the world, really working for the devil, now that you've been transformed, you've crossed over from death to life, now I want to use that same zeal. But now it's just going to be bumped up through the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want it now to be tempered and led in the right path to be used for righteousness. You went out to persecute the church? Oh, brother, you are about to be used like no other person in the face of, in the history of Christianity to build up the church. Paul, are you ready? And he said, yes, Lord, because it says in verse 20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. His purpose was to minister, to preach. And the Bible says he waited a few years till he could get his stock in his portfolio right. The Bible says he waited a couple of months, you know, till he could get his family together. No, 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 no. The Bible says immediately he preached. Don't we give God a whole lot of excuses for why we can't meet, move immediately? Now, we sure want him to move immediately. Oh, Lord, I'm hurting down here. Lord, I need you right now. I need you to move. I need one of them suddenly miracles. And Jesus is like, I need you to move immediately because I've spoken to you. And this man goes out and he starts preaching Christ, that he is the son of God. So when he goes out, he starts preaching. The man who was on his way to Damascus in order to imprison Christians, persecute Christians, meets Jesus on the road, gets transformed by Jesus in that same place, ends up in Damascus as a Christian, Preaching Christ, and now the unbelievers want to kill him. Oh, that's transformation right there. Oh, that's transformation right there. Because now your friends that you used to kick it with, that you had so much in common with, but because you met the lover of your soul, he transformed you from the inside out. Now, all of a sudden, those who like to call you for the party, those who called you to get high, they hate you all of a sudden now, but you need to understand it's just the perfume and the cologne that you wear. You got this new Jesus cologne that's on you now. You didn't ask for it. He came upon you by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And when you walk into rooms, some people love that smell. Some of your old homeboys and homettes like that smell, and they're drawn in that smell, and they want to know more about the one who make you smell so good because they all know your stuff can be funky sometimes, but you still smell good. You start telling them about Jesus, who has and is transforming you. But then now, folks, when they smell you, they don't like how you smell because of whose smell is on you. So don't take it personal. Man, many times it's spiritual. So now, don't say my boss, he don't like me because I'm a Christian. I hope your boss likes you because you're doing your work. Don't be, don't be not doing your work. Oh, my boss is persecuting me 
No, you're persecuting yourself. Do your work, Christian. Come to work on time. Get in class on time. Hand your homework in. Don't say my boss is riding me. Do your work. But sometimes you do your work and your boss is still riding you because many times they know that you love Jesus. And it's not just because of what you put on your desk. You know, I love Jesus. Yes, I do. I love Jesus. How about you? They, they know. They smell it. They smell it. They smell it. They smell it. Paul got up in Damascus. Man, some folks smelled him. Woo, he smelled good. Give me some of that Jesus cologne. Other folks smelled him and said, we got to get rid of him. But he said, I'm going to serve him till the day I die. So finally, the best way for you and I to prove that Jesus is real. It's not so much through apologetics and let me sit down with you and let me prove it. Let's get the historical record. Okay, someone talked about this parchment that Jesus had a wife and okay, let's tear that up and let's tear that down. It seems like every Easter, somebody's bringing out a brand new book trying to discredit Jesus Christ and the work of Christ. And so let's get in there and let's start proving that Jesus is the Messiah. That stuff has its place. And there's a time to preach. But Paul said in the book of Galatians, when they saw my life, the one who had been transformed, the one who was persecuting the church. Now he knows the head of the church. Paul said, now they're praising God because of me. His life spoke louder than his lips. But I know for many of us, though, yes, we've been transformed. We're born again, but we have been fighting the spirit of God. We haven't asked him in a long time, what do you want me to do? We've been doing our own thing. But today, for you, Christian, it's time for you to say, Lord, I submit, I give my life back to you. Forgive me for taking it from you. So the question is, is there enough proof to show that you are really a disciple of Jesus? Has your life been transformed? And is it being transformed in the perfect tense? Is it still going on? Like Paul, can you say, I've seen Jesus? Or for this generation, I believe Jesus. And when you believe Jesus, you become a believer. And I'm not just talking about believing about him. I'm talking about believing in him, putting your life in him, recognizing that he died for you because you are a sinner and the wages of sin is death. But Jesus took your death penalty on the cross because he loved you. The one who didn't know any sin, never did anything wrong, died for all of the wrongs that you've done, that I've done, that we've done so that we could be made right or righteous with God. He took our sin on his body, and when we trust him, he gives us his righteousness. And he got up from the grave. He just didn't die. He got up like he said he would. And our faith today is in a living Savior in God. I can't imagine people who worship idols, who have to make the thing that they worship. I can't imagine that. And it can be a BMW as well as something else made of wood or stone. But we worship things that we make that cannot hear, that cannot save, that cannot speak. But our God who made us for himself has bought us back. He has redeemed us through the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. That's the good news. So can you say, I believe him? But then can you say, I hear him? Because he talks to me about ways I've heard him. He talks about ways that I'm hurting myself. Because he, he loves me so to tell me the truth. He speaks the truth to me in love. But he also speaks to me about why I'm here. And if I'm here to sell real estate, if I'm here to sell insurance, 
If I'm here to change oil, if I'm here to be a school teacher, that's my purpose. And I'm going to let my light shine wherever I go. And I'm not going to be ashamed to talk about the one who set me free. Because I once was blind, but now I see. And I serve him. I, I serve him. I, I serve him. So as the choir comes back, would you stand to your feet as we close today in prayer? There's proof, Paul said. I'm a disciple. I saw him. I heard him. And I serve him. I serve him. A lot of great celebrating today, and rightfully so. Every day is Resurrection Day. The Christians began to worship on Sunday because Christ got up on Sunday, the first day of the week. So that tradition has gone on for centuries now. But we just don't celebrate him on Sunday that he's risen or on Easter that he's risen. No, he's risen every day, and he wants to be risen in my life because the greatest way to prove that he's real to an unbelieving world is to let them know he's real in me. He's real to me. And I just wonder as we close this service, hit, hit, hit some music for me, fellas. <coughs> we sing today about overcoming. And we're going to close with that today as you exit. But before we do that, I need to ask a couple of questions. If you are a Christian, you say, Pastor, man, this was a good conviction for me today. Because he loved me enough to speak the truth to me. Because I know I'm a Christian. I believed in him. I know I've heard him. But Pastor, I haven't been serving him with my life. I got into serving myself, and you know what, Pastor, man, I heard it today. I come back to him. I repent. In a moment, I'm going to invite you to come pray, if that's you. While we sing this last song, if that's you, you know it. Don't stay in your seat and let the enemy steal that moment. No, you come and seal it with God and say, I'm coming home. I'm coming back. There may also be someone here who says, I am a Christian. I I know Jesus, but I don't have a church. I know you said I don't need a church to have a relationship with God, but God is so instituted that I need to be a part of the church. And I'm tired of roaming around out here as a sheep without earthly shepherds and with our brothers and sisters in accountability. Man, I need a church home. And if that's you, there's a symbolic stand. I'm going to ask you in a moment to come and just join me as a as a proof that you're stepping out saying, I want to be a part of this church. And then finally, and most importantly, if there's someone here today, and you do not have a relationship with God. You do not know Jesus Christ. You are not a believer. I'm here to let you know I was once there too. No one is born a Christian. That's why we have to be born again. We're born sinners, separated from God. But Jesus bridged the gap to bring us back. And the only way to get to God is to come through Jesus, who is the door, who is the way. 
How do you do that? By trusting in him, believing in him. Say, Jesus, be my savior. Be my Lord. It's a simple prayer. A thief on the cross prayed it. And Jesus said to that thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. It's just a simple prayer. But it's a prayer that sets your life on fire. It sets a course. Woo! My, my, my. But today, first things first, I want Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this time. Thank you for this special Resurrection Day 2014. We love you, God. Thank you for allowing us to dwell together in unity with our brothers and sisters in your name. And as we close, if there's someone here who said, Pastor Chris, yes, I am a Christian, but I got off track. I want to get back to serving him the way that I know I should and the way I once did. I'm coming back today, and I need his grace to keep me strong. With every head bowed and with every eye closed between the Lord and your pastor, would you just raise your hand? Would you just raise your hand and say, yes, I heard from God today. I got to come back to serving him the way that I once did. Is there one? I see the hand. Is there anyone else that can confess? He gives grace to the humble. Well, is there someone here who you are a Christian, but you don't have a church home? He's been talking to you to check this one out. You don't have to join it, but maybe you just need to investigate what it means to be a member of this particular church. And if this isn't the church for you, we'll help find one for you. Because it's not about this church. It's about the church. Amen. But you're saying, man, I, I, I want to be a part of this place. I'm feeling called. While every head is bowed and every eye closed, would you lift your hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. Anyone else? Anyone else? I see you. Amen. Amen. And finally, and again, most importantly, if you said, Pastor, today, I... I it's my day. The Holy Spirit has been talking to me. I'm ready. I'm ready to come to Jesus. Pastor, would you pray for me? If that's you, would you just lift your hand so I can see it? Is that you? Today is your day. Today is your day, your time to surrender your life. Is there one person? Amen. Well, as we close with this song, we'll sing a couple of verses. And if you need to come, just to pray and lay something down, come on. If you want to come, shake the preacher's hand and say, I'm interested in membership. Or if you say, Pastor, I, I'm coming. I, I want you to help me meet Jesus. I'll be standing right here. All right? God bless you.